This is Global Politics Unfiltered. I'm your host, Musonda Mweche. Uh, welcome back again. So, episode three. Today, the topic is about how climate change influences politics. There's so much politicking when it comes to climate change. You might think politicians might be serious about it, but yeah, definitely not. So, with me today, I have Yande Changala, a climate change enthusiast. <laughs> I hope I pronounced it right. Anyway, she will pronounce it right herself. She's a third year student studying development studies at the University of Lusaka, and she is also passionate about climate change. So, you know, I can't discuss these things without really um, bringing someone who knows more about climate change on board. So, Yande, welcome to Global Politics Unfiltered. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I am glad to be here. So as you have said, my name is Yende Changala. I'm a climate change enthusiast. I am a third year student at the University of Lusaka. And yeah, very short bio, but then that's most about me. Um, so Yende, like to a layman out there, what would you say, what is climate change? Like in the simplest terms. I think the easiest way we could always define climate change is that it is the change in weather patterns, how they come up. So you would notice uh, high levels of rainfall, low levels of rainfall in certain areas. We're experiencing global warming and there's drought in some areas. And so all of that can be attributed to climate change. For other people in other countries, they're experiencing things like extreme heat such as to the point where they're having bushfires and and so on and so forth so yeah that's what climate changes so um here's an interesting part right Mm -hmm. we have like seven continents Mm -hmm. and when you look at the continents that have like most most vulnerable it's africa right when it comes to climate change Mm -hmm in terms of resources and just anything like in, in case there's um a tsunami i'm not i don't i'm not sure there's ever been a tsunami in africa but you know it's climate change you never know africa has like low low resources in terms of how they respond to it it can take forever to respond compared to america china which are even like the biggest contributor when it comes to carbon emissions mm-hmm. so uh are there any policies around Africa and America and China when it comes to climate change? Um, Are there any policies around? We have seen governments, especially when it comes to things like, I don't know if you heard about the COP26 that was uh, in Glasgow. The one that happened uh, last year, right? Yes. Yes. So um, the COP26 brings together heads of state from over 200 countries and including those countries you have industry leaders and change makers yeah and so the aim of doing that is to come up with criteria that protect our planet right so ideally right now what they're trying to do is by like reducing global warming to 1.5 degrees so are there any policies i think we have heard of heads of states talking about how for 
leading industries, if you emit a certain particular amount of energy that's over the threshold, you are expected to compensate the people or to pay the government a certain amount of money. And so those are most of the changes seen. But then, however, if such policies don't necessarily apply, not necessarily that they don't apply, but then they aren't really implemented as much as they should be, especially in Africa, because like you have said, we do not emit enough energy as much as these other countries do. We emit less energy when it comes to the first class nations, right? So yeah, for us, yeah, because... In, um, mm-hmm. Because I came across an article which said, I think we emit not more than 4%. Is that right? Yes. And yeah. so if you look at the statistics, yeah, you notice that even, even though we are the victims, we do not do as much harm as other uh, countries that when the first world do. For us, the biggest problem that we have is deforestation and without reforestation we are forestating. And so we cut down a lot of trees as Africans. But then if you come to think of the reasons why we cut down a lot of trees, it's because of the lack of resources. I mean, in, in Zambia, we can bring it back home. Uh, we have load shedding. In, yeah, load shedding, yes, but not as much. But then it's because people want to sell charcoal. So whether there is load shedding or no load shedding, charcoal will be sold, right? We have yeah. places like Copper Belt that uses timber to make war fences because it's a cheaper route than using um, the normal cement and bricks type of war fence. So there are so many things in this country or in Africa at large that causes to use um, timber, which is now a leading cause to deforestation. And so when countries, especially from the global north, talk about Africans contributing and attributing climate change to us, they forget to put into consideration that it is our poverty, it is our lack of climate finance that leads us into doing things like cutting down trees. Yeah. Okay, thank you, Yande, for that. Um, speaking of countries and the COP26, uh, the first climate change treaty was done by the UN in 1992, right? Mm-hmm. But instead of it getting better, it's getting worse. Mm-hmm. And it has also become a political thing. You know where it's like America uh, signs up, Donald Trump comes, pulls out, Again, Joe Biden says, no, we're going to sign up again, you know. Mm-hmm. For China, they choose to do this, they choose to do that. Also, how it is now like a political economy thing because, you know, our big corporations now, the ones even like pollute the planet, they're more powerful compared, especially like when it comes to third world countries, you know. Yeah. So which which best way do you think uh, can be done? Because clearly, not to say the UN is not doing anything, but they're trying, but it's not just uh, they're not trying hard enough, lack of yeah. better terms. Yes. So what do you think is the best way? Because obviously it has been politicized a lot. It's now become a political issue. This party comes their own policies. Let's give an example of Zambia, you know. Mm-hmm. There was a policy in uh, 2017 mm-hmm. about climate change. 
but yes. there are no laws about climate change in Zambia. I stand mm-hmm. to be corrected. <laughs> I'm right, right? Yeah. So there's, uh, but there's a new ministry, uh, Minister of Green Economy. But people still don't know so much about it. So it's become more of a political issue. This one comes. Maybe they want funds from an international organization. They talk about it like that. And then another government comes. They forget about it. So like, what is the best for a permanent solution to address climate change? If we're going to address climate change, speak about how political it is. It's a very uncomfortable conversation for most states because when you are running a country, you have your stakeholders and some stakeholders contribute more to that country, right? And so I'll give example of Bill Gates. I'll give examples of which other rich person do you know right now that's making money, right? And they own big corporations. And so what they do is they form partnership, partnerships with states, right? And sometimes these people in big organizations and big corporations fund the state. And so when you talk about climate change and implementing policies and it actually making the difference that it's supposed to make, it puts states into a very tight spot with their partners. Right, so you find that even though they had to meet at at gas club and talk about all these plans and all these things, it's all to show you that we are trying to do something and we're trying to make a change. But the thing but is, the change. there is no change because it means that you have to step on your partner's foot for you to make the change that's going to happen right and so that's why we're not seeing change if i had to say let's see change it would mean that for the people who are making iphone you had to tell them how much they have to produce in a year because again if you're talking about climate change you're talking about sustainable development so yeah also going to regulate the consumption that's on the market right so you're telling you're telling apple how many phones they can produce in a year right? You're telling designers how much cotton they can use in a year. You're telling them, don't use this amount of new items. Let them, and there's this new thing called sustainable fashion. If you can tell now, thrift is getting more accepted because of sustainable fashion. Instead of producing more clothes, people are starting to reuse more clothes and it's becoming a more accepted situation. So, yes. And that's what I'm saying. If we are going to really see real change, it, it will have to take brave leaders who are going to make very brave decisions, right? Because at the end of the day, climate change works in reverse to our development. The more you want to develop, the more harm you cause to the environment, right? The more you want a new phone, the more harm you causing to the government or to the environment. You want a new road, that's harm to the environment. And so for me, I had to talk about a real sustainable change. It's that the government should go back to the people who are actually causing this damage. They need to find jobs for people who are cutting down trees for them to go and sell charcoal. What's the alternative, right? And so... 
yeah, it's going to cost money. It's going to, it's it, it would need the government to put their hands in very shaky grounds, and that's something that they don't want to do. And also, if I can just heard about um superpowers, where you talked about people who fund the states, right? It's not mm-hmm. sacred that Africa is funded by superpowers like America, China, Europe, these continents, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the countries in Europe too. So, you know, and then the, uh, also Africa itself is the most vulnerable continent when it comes to climate change. But it is funded by the hypocrites. I'm going to call them hypocrites mm-hmm. here because they are America and China. These two, like, they're the biggest contributors, you know? So it's like now Africa has to stand up to the people that give them money. So somehow, somehow someone might make it look like um, they're trying to bite off the hand that feeds them. Exactly. So is that a war of Africa addressing this issue without biting the hands that feed them, it being America and China? Because they're the biggest hypocrites when it comes to climate change. They, they can make the loudest noise, but the fact still remains that the ones who are like destroying the planet the most, but the people are going to suffer are the people in Africa the most. I think, well, I think no man is an island. I do think they that have the briefcase make the decisions. I always say that. So if you're going to bite the hand that feeds you, you're going to have to hand, to have a hand and feed yourself, right? And so yeah. if Africa at all is going to stand up to big countries, Africa is going to have to make its own money. And I don't think that's impossible. Africa is a very big continent, right? And so if we're going to stand up to China, the Asian countries, if we're going to stand up to America, they need to see us as a partner instead of a charity case. So when we say we are pulling out, it scares them. If anything, China and America can't even flourish without us. Why? Because we're one of their biggest customers, right so whatever they make they do send to they send that stuff to africa we buy that stuff the resources they get copper comes from zambia cocoa comes from west the western africa if we decided and said we are leaving we're no longer going to be part of you want to cut ties that should scare them but they're not scared because they know we're highly dependent on them right they know we don't know our power we don't know our ability we have not raised Pan-Africanism to a point where we can stand alone. And I'm not saying that so that we can be an island. We're not an island. But then I tell you that if today China had to pull itself out of certain deals with America, it will shake. And so they will bend over backwards in order to make sure that they don't lose China as their partners. Africa has to be like that. Let's start generating our own funds, our own income, so that the point where we say this is not working for us, we don't want to take part in it. They don't just say, all right, go, and we remain suffering. They say, we're losing a partner. Let's try to see how we can bend over backwards in order for us to keep them. I think for me personally, that's one way. There are several other ways, but then that would be the best way too. You know, I like that you bring up the point of unity when it comes to Africa, you know. Because I yes. think that Zambia can't just stand alone and be like, we're pulling out of this. They won't feel the arm. But when Africa as a whole, at least most African countries, stand up and say, we're pulling out of this because, you know, listen, you guys are 
hating the planet, but it's affecting us the most, you know? Yes. That would be good. But there's division in Africa. Amongst themselves, they fail to work. Everyone wants to work with the Asian continent or the Americans, you know? So therefore, it now becomes who's going to look nice to China, who's going to take the biggest bite out of China, who's going to take the biggest bite out of America, who's going to get more funds this year, who's going to fund our budget. So I know I said America and China are hypocrites. So can you also say Africa is also a hypocrite or we can say the African leaders are hypocrites also? Um, Yes. Yes, we can. We've had leaders sell us out, right? We've had leaders do things that were not in our favor. And in all honesty, policy, politics, sorry, is a very serious, it's a, it's a serious game. And a serious and dirty game. It's a serious game. And oftentimes, if you're going to be a true leader, if you're going to be an honest leader, you have to have a strong hand. And that's one thing that most African leaders don't have. And, and so you find most people are selling us out. We have seen this through time through the time when we're all getting off colonialism, the first set of presidents we had as Africans have actually been termed to be dictators and corrupt leaders since time and time. You understand that. And so if we're going to talk about hypocrisy, we can't take out African leaders because if they don't want to be hypocrites, they just they just won't, Right. And we can see them stand against, stand up against certain things. Like, for instance, in Zambia, our politicians have managed to keep us away from homosexuality. I'm not saying it's bad, but then, or I'm not saying it's good either. I'm just saying they have managed to keep that out of our laws. They could have easily said, yes, we want homosexuality here so that we can get more funding. But they didn't. You get that, right? So, yes. and that's what I'm saying. If they want to... If they don't want to do it, they won't. If they want to, they will. I, I was always taught, if you want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. And so when it comes to an issue of climate change, most leaders don't think it's an issue that, that is urgent and doesn't call for urgency. And so they don't pay as much attention as they do to protecting their, their so-called morals when they, when they actually corrupt because you can't condemn one thing homosexuality and then at the end of the day just to be corrupted thieves it's incoherent thank you uh so do you think maybe we need the next set of leadership because the current leadership in africa has failed do i think we need a new set of leaders um yes in africa i wouldn't speak for africa because in quite to be quite honest, I, um, I'm, I'm, I don't know most African leaders personally. I have read about them. Well, um, but that actions. <laughs> yeah, but then but... you know how it would be difficult for, for someone out there to come and criticize HH without exactly knowing what's happening on ground? As a general idea, yes. Um, are they doing bad? Yes, let, let them work on the bad things that they're doing. But if if I'm going to be specific, I'll be hypocritical to give a comment on that because I haven't gotten the chance to know them as much as I would speak of a church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
HH. Oh, I think sorry. So they, sorry. So to the listeners out there, HH is the Akainde, the president of Zambia. Um, Ms. Akainde Ichilema. That's the person she's referring to. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I forgot to <laughs> speak to a much bigger crowd. Yeah. So yeah. the Zambian president is one I can speak of. Um, I have defended him honestly, um, time and time again. Does he make mistakes? Of course he does. He's a human being. But then so far, he's the only president in this country that has ever come up with a ministry of green economy and environment. And regardless of whether that's a political act or not, at least it shows something, right? At least it shows that he's even listening to something called climate change. It's somewhere to start. We have a ministry. And if we had to fight, and this is where CSOs come in, Right, because if they are mm-hmm. seeing that we have a ministry that's that's needed, that's important, a ministry that's urgent, and it's not working, they can have something to point at. We can have something to hold accountable, right? So, if you don't have it at all, then what are you going to talk about? But if you have it, you're saying we have this ministry. What has it been doing about deforestation? What is it doing about um about drought and the floods, what is it doing? Why is it quiet? Is it working with the DMMU and trying to mitigate the situation? Because already as it is, we can almost predict that certain areas are going to have droughts. What's the action? Are you working with DMMU in order for you to mitigate the solution? And so I think HH personally is is coming up okay in that area. Will he make a mistake? We don't know. Let's give the man some time. Hopefully he doesn't, but um, I think that's the man I can com- I can um, I can comment on, and I think so far he's doing okay. Okay, so um, this is quite another point I wanted to bring about. So for climate change, if the response about about climate change continues, the low response or the ignorance about it continues. Do you think it can lead to war and whatnot about conflict? Like you have said, honestly, climate change has a very, very big role to play in conflict, right? Because I think you have explained most of it when you have no rainfall, you have no food. When you have no food, people start fighting for the little food that they have, right? And so what you're going to see is an increase of crime rate. People start stealing from each other. People kill each other for them to gain a living, right? Mm-hmm. People will die because of that. Uh, because we can't get food, we can't make money because you aren't selling food. So you, you're expecting your economy to go down drastically. And another thing is that you're also, we are also recording a low life expectancy, right? So there are so many things. Healthcare facilities will be fighting for Panadol and so on and so forth. Before you realize it, we'll be one of those countries that barely survives, that has high illiteracy levels, that has high low life expectancy, that has high crime rate, all those things for me just sound like like stimulators of conflict. And so I remember I was having a conversation with one of my friends and then I was saying, you know, it's so weird how people who are living in a very comfortable life 
don't mind climate change. And for me, whenever I talk about climate change, I don't even go far. I never refer to America. I always refer back home. I'm saying if we don't have food, if at all by the end of this year we're buying a at 300 quarter, fuel prices will go up. And when fuel prices will go up, every food in this country will go up. Every service will go up. But you know what doesn't go up? Your salary. So it means that people have to, will now have to function on the little money they have that can't even get them through already. And there are many homes that we can look at that that will literally go under if that had to happen. Already the prices of fuel have gone up. And so if millimil does go up, you are looking at an increase in the standard of living by a certain particular percentage. So when that already happens, you can already record at least an increase in crime rate by a certain particular percentage. And so this is not even, I'm not even talking about 2050. I'm not talking about 2030. I'm talking about next year. If we end up buying millimil at 300, our lives are going to change. People won't be able to take their children to school because they have to buy a bag of millimil. And that's what gets to me. And that's why, for me, the issue of climate change awareness becomes vital. It becomes important because people have to know what's happening within them because climate change doesn't only come for the food, doesn't only come for your weather. It comes for the food on your table. It comes for your employment. It comes for your financial stability. All of those things get affected when you talk about climate change. And I think people don't see it like that because they think their money is safe. But your money isn't. And so if something comes for your financial stability, it's really coming for your well-being. And I think it's worth talking about. Okay, thank you. So do you think um, there hasn't been much talk about climate change that I think a mere citizen out there, yes, what is climate change? I don't think they would know. So what's the best way of making people know exactly the effects of climate change? What's happening right now is because of climate change. I think when you're talking to people, you have to use all their senses, the sense of touch, the sense of listening, the sense of seeing. They have heard it, but it's like they can't see it. And I think the best way is to show them. The prices. Yeah. So there are literally people who believe climate change doesn't exist. And I, I get marveled. Really? <laughs> I, I feel defeated when I meet someone and they tell me climate change doesn't exist. And um, I, I get shocked. I'm like, so what would you attribute heat to? Extreme levels of heat. And then yeah. if you're saying there's no climate change, you're saying there's literally nothing that a human being can do to affect the environment, which is very untrue, right? That's very, very untrue. I can literally start a fire and it's going to affect the environment. It will affect how you breathe. You're part of the environment. It will affect how a tree will grow. It's part of the environment. And so do I think there's a way we can communicate to people? I think yeah, one, like now, sorry, especially like now the way it is, um, well, even in a pandemic, you know, yeah. so now like fighting double wars, now there's climate change, there's a whole pandemic going on. I think the yeah. best way is also to 
I think one thing I've noticed is that we keep speaking about climate change in a highly technical way, and that's why people don't understand. You can't go and yep. talk to a, a layman about the theories of mathematics, and they sure won't feel the importance of it, right? And so mm-hmm. when you go and speak to someone in a, in, in a way that they understand it, they will see the importance of it. So one thing I can I think can be incorporated is climate change awareness through all the local languages in this country. Speak about it. Let it be something that they see on the news the same way they see they see COVID nineteen because it's just as urgent. Nations will go attend these seminars, the conferences, sign a treaty, and then just become rounded like that. Like no one is actually doing anything about it because. If they are doing something about it, the plant wouldn't have been getting worse, you know, but it's getting worse. It should be getting better, but it's actually the opposite. Yeah. Actually, many climate change activists don't even believe in this gas glow, COP26, you know, UNEP conferences summits they don't believe in that because it's just a place where leaders come and they sound like they know what they're talking about they take pictures in their nice suits they shake hands they sign treaties they exchange money and they go back to bed and they become a political issue that's all and yeah and and they just sleep on it and it just a few people take it pictures put them on their their statuses and 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 keep it for their manifesto the following year that's that that's it whenever they need funding they have pictures to show this is what we're doing currently and and it's really tiresome and so when i see i recently had something called um the climate change um awareness dialogue it was a youth situation and after that, our idea is to go into schools and go and, and go and create sensitization into schools. And so I remember telling them that I'm tired of dialogues personally. I'm tired. People know what they're doing. People know what they're talking about. Three quarters of people who go to climate change dialogues know what climate change is. It's tiresome. Let's do something tangible. Let's go into the streets. Let's talk about to the marketeers who don't know that throwing tomato in the street is harmful to the environment. Let's go and teach people how helpful it will be to them to just clean their environment and post and post what they're supposed to to throw in their in their bins. Let's try to get the government on board and make sure that there's bins in every corner of this country so that there's little or no litter. Let's let the government work with recycle companies. When litter is being collected, take it to recycling companies. They can start selling it. We don't care, but then do something. And see so why I keep on saying that it's become a political issue because um, just, I think it was yesterday or a couple of days ago, there was um, a Lusaka councillor went in at Lusaka City Council mm-hmm. and took the garbage <clears throat> there like because the city council is not doing anything. So it just went on and messed the entire place up. Like, understand what was trying to do, but was it necessary? Because what you've done is take one date and drop it off another place, you know? Yeah, I, I see that. It's as still a mess. It's actually a good idea. 
Is Personally, it? I, I think it's a good idea I really because yeah, yeah, yeah. You're telling them you you're in a clean space where you are, and your job mm-hmm. is to go and clean the outside world. So what you decide to do is you're seated comfortably where you are. It's clean. It's swept. But then the outside world that you're supposed to ensure is clean. It's dirty. But this is counselor. This is the person who has power and authority to do something about it. You know, yeah, it's not just maybe, like a citizen doing that. Yeah, he's a counselor himself. I think that was it was a petty thing to do, but I'm also a petty person. So <laughs> I, I see, I see how for me it's just like okay, so. And that's what I was telling you. If you have to let people know, you have to use their senses. So you've, they've heard, but they need to see. It's like, how do you feel sitting in this dirt, right? But doesn't have, Excuse me. Uh, doesn't a counselor, sorry, doesn't a counselor um, has have power, the power to up, yes, the date when you see the government. No, that's not it. That, that's it's not his job. job. No, it's not the counselor's job to clean, but it's the (laughs) counselor's job to ensure that the place is clean. So what the counselor is supposed to do is to ensure that the local council is working, right? Employs people in the streets to clean. They've done so. I'm sure for him to pull such a stunt, he knows that there are people who are supposed to be out there cleaning, right? He knows he has Mm -hmm. subordinates. And so maybe the better way, the most mature way he could have done it is probably have some names, and say, you know what, if you don't do your job, we're going to find somebody who's going to do your job and you're going to lose your job. But then obviously he wanted to add a little bit spice on the top and he went and trashed their offices. It was a little bit petty. There could have been a more formal way of doing the job, but like I said, I'm so a petty person. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not necessary. <laughs> it wasn't necessary. And that's what I'm saying. It's petty. I wouldn't do that. But then in my head, I'm like, Man, I get you. <laughs> I absolutely. Get. I have worked with, I have worked with people who don't listen before, where you tell them something and they don't want to do it, right? Obviously, in that situation, I didn't have to tell them to, oh, I'm, I'm gonna trash your places. No, you have to lay them off. And sometimes laying people off their roads is not the best thing to do. It feels difficult. So you want to ensure that by the time i'm laying you off at least you know that i tried so uh, some people can lead you to pettiness but either way as as an adult as as a leader i I think he should have been he should have taken a better route yeah he should all you know he should have taken a better route yeah Yeah. because i felt like he just wanted to be noticed like listen i'm working no yeah you know as i I think it yeah. becomes like a political issue. So for you to gain some political mileage, you're like, listen, yeah. let me pop and I'm I get the message behind it, but again, was it necessary? Like maybe you he are... wanted he wanted to get his hands off. So like so if you're seeing that guys, I'm just showing you that I've been trying to tell these people to work but they aren't yes. so he wanted to say, Me, my hands are clean here. I'm doing my job, but these are the ones who are not doing their job. <laughs> A typical person is like me, me, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Okay, uh, so overall, we can say climate change does um, affect everyone, one or another, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who's the biggest hypocrite, who's the least hypocrite, it's going to affect everyone, right? Yeah, it will. Yeah. Because it's one planet, and we just have one planet, not my 
you know what Jeff Bezos goes who can live on planet Mars and whatnot. <laughs> we just have this planet to take care of. The rich, you know the thing with the rich, they might go actually, they might go and live on Mars, but but then that's the thing, yeah. The people who are yeah. destroying and people so even if the they ones, had to go on Mars to, so even yeah. if they had to go on Mars they'll still go and destroy that one and they'll try to live in Pluto and that's the thing right when you take care of things they last and so if you decide to mess something up deliberately because you know you will lose another thing it will be just about a short period of time before you lose everything that you have in a short period of time so before we yeah. just go on and destroy the entire solar system and the entire universe. Just take care of Earth. I mean, Earth is fine. We don't have to go fight other aliens for their land. I mean, leave them. <laughs> let's let, <laughs> let them be. Thing. Yes, and I actually think you know it's there's just a poor leadership across the world, you know, because I believe if there were like strict laws in nations and uh, different countries these rich people don't know how to behave, you know? Mm-hmm. But they know that laws are lenient when it comes to them. Like someone can be caught for stealing uh, petty things, maybe just uh, braid milk, and they can spend years in jail. Mm-hmm. But for a rich person who's actually harming the planet, for them just to even go to trial, there must be so much evidence, and that's to be like concrete evidence, you know, and if that takes time, takes up so much money, and whatnot. Yeah. So, like, yeah, so it's like, they really let the rich misbehave, like, I can mess up your planet, I can mess up our planet, I can leave it, and then just go live on Mars, Somewhere you know, else. and then I'll just leave you poor people to suffer. And take care of my mess. Yeah, I that's think that's the message. That's literally the message they give. Like, I, listen, make a mess up and leave and go. Money, and then, yeah, can buy you through anything, honestly. And that's the sad. I think that's the saddest part about humanity, is the how how indispensable money has made certain human beings, right? They. There's literally nothing you can do to them. They're untouchable. And that's one of the biggest human injustices we have, right? Where some people are above the law, right? And so we have the animal farm situation. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. You you have people doing one crime and the other, and the other person gets to suffer for doing petty petty corruption. Well, the person who who went and stole a huge sum of money just goes into court for a certain amount of months and you hear, oh, they are acquitted because due to lack of evidence. And, you know, these people still have immunity in this country because of they had money or they were part of the state and they get to get away with whatever it is that they did. That's one of the greatest injustices where money gets you through anything. And so if we ever, ever get to get somewhere as human beings, is if we get to a point where money doesn't dictate our virtues, our principles as human beings, and how we live in the environment and how we treat our environment, there should be no compromise on how we treat our homes. And Earth is our home. And it's sad that money 
makes other people compromise about that. And not only are you destroying your home, you're destroying everyone else's home without their permission. And that's what's really messed up. That is very, very nice. Yeah. Um, anyways, I think that's it. So thank you, Andy. Thank you for having me. It was a very good conversation. And I hope a lot of people get to start engaging in such conversation because these are conversations worth having. Yes, um, I'm sure uh, in due time, because either way this is going, climate change is affecting everyone, you know. So at some point, people are going to start asking questions why the world is changing, why this is happening, you know. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. And then perhaps it won't be too late, but at some point, the conversation will be provoked. The conversation about climate change will be had one way or another, and it will be taken more seriously. I hope so. I actually do. Okay, thank you. So that's all for tonight. I'll see you next time or today, <laughs> um, depending on where you are listening from. So that was Yande Changala. Yes, um, a climate change. I want to pronounce that word again, guys. <laughs> I won't pronounce it. Till next time, we have um, more topics to discuss on global politics and filter. And hopefully, we're going to have again to discuss more on climate change. Bye. <laughs>